You are Locked On Bucks, your daily podcast on the Milwaukee Bucks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Backs him down. Giannis into the lane. Giannis spinning. Welcome to Locked on Bucks. I am your host, Kane Pittman. Not joined by Frank Madden tonight, but I am joined by a regular guest on this show. He is the Bucks studio host, the Bucks radio studio host, and also does the ESPN Milwaukee Post game show. Justin Garcia, you've uh, answered my late call again. Is, is Frank on the show anymore? Yeah, well, he is, he's, he, he does. Uh, when, I, when I took over, actually, because... You know, unlike me, who just literally my life revolves around the Milwaukee Bucks, uh, Frank actually does have a family that he needs to uh, take care of also and, and a real day, day-to-day day job. So it's a little bit more difficult for him with, with the time difference. But uh, yeah, he's on, the, he's on three times a week. Okay. Uh, well, I mean, I, we answered each other's call today. It's, it's true. I also had to send out the SOS. It's true. Yeah, I, we did just wrap up talking on the uh, on the post game show, but it was funny. I just said to you, you asked me the exact question right off the top that I was planning on asking you. And before we get to the Bucks one thirty five one twenty seven win over the Hawks, where you know, I mean, they just gave everyone a little bit of a a little bit of a scare at the end, but they they do pick up the win and move to eleven and three. But before we get to that, I want to get to a topic that people get pretty fired up about. And I don't generally get as excited about it as everyone else, but the Bucks revealed a new city jersey yesterday. It is the Cream City. I, I'm, I'm sure all the listeners have seen it by now. It is the Cream City jersey. It's, uh, it's pretty well a, a full cream uh, color scheme with the Cream City lettering uh, across the front. Do you have any, any hot takes on this one, Justin? I got to be careful with hot takes. Yeah, you and I both sure. you know, some people responsible or were at least with some input on this. I, uh, I mean, uh, we both said uh, I've lived in and grown up around Milwaukee my entire life. Up until four or five years ago, I had never heard Milwaukee referred to as the cream city and knew nothing about that. So this is still kind of new for me. The whole, cream city thing and seeing the brewers kind of do the same thing with the cream city inspired uh, cream color and, and off white for their home jerseys. So that's still kind of uh, taking some getting used to. I, I think it's okay. But I mean, all four, well, the two uniforms that we saw come out this year are just, they're okay. I don't hate them. I don't love them. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I'm sort of the same with jerseys anyway. Like I, I, you know, there's some jerseys when you go back over the Bucks history that I'm like, yeah, that really sucks. Like, they're, they're just the plain red one with Milwaukee across the front. That sucked. I mean, the Andrew Bogan era? Yeah. I mean, there's been some bad ones. But, yeah, this was – it was funny. When the Bucks first announced that they were – that, you know, they were 
or they had the rebrand and cream was a big part of that. One of the things I was, uh, or the team that I was thinking of was the San Francisco giants. And I was like, you know what, maybe the, maybe the bucks could have a pretty sweet Jersey if they have a similar type thing, except the, you know, the full cream with the blue instead of the orange. And they've sort of done that, but yeah, I do think that the, uh, the cream city thing, like for me, particularly as an outsider, but as someone that obviously has spent a lot of time in Milwaukee over the years and watched the bucks forever, I just didn't know that it was a thing. <laughs> like I, I, until as you mentioned, the, the rebrand and they really put a focus on Cream City. So I think, um, in terms of putting that as the lettering on a on an NBA jersey, I think from the outside, a lot of people will just be like, "What the hell does that even mean?" Like I, I, I've never heard of that. So from that point of view, it's kind of strange. But yeah, I I think they're okay. I, I'm not like super excited about them, but I, I probably never will be about jerseys. But I mentioned to you. My favorite jersey since the rebrand was the Christmas one last year. And that really just just disappeared. I don't know what happened to it. And they only actually wore it over that literally that Christmas period. And maybe that was the time frame the league had for that earned edition. Well, I'm not I'm not too sure. But they just never went back to it. I love that one. Yeah, they were limited. I remember um Nick with the Bucks, Monroe yeah. telling I remember him mentioning around that time, I think there were only what did you say it was five times they wore it? I know the I league so, yeah. limited the amount of times they could wear it. And I think it was just basically around Christmas because it was only the teams that made the playoffs the year prior that were allowed to have that fifth jersey and the league limited the amount of times you could wear it. Yeah, that makes sense then because that one was super clean. I really like that. But I will say that, you know, even last year when it, when the, the, the Mecca jersey came out, the yellow one, I was like, wow, this is kind of wild. This is not is something. Anything. Yeah, it's just like not something we've ever seen. And I saw it on the court and I was like, well, this actually looks a little bit better than I thought it would. And, you know, for the Bucks, like you would know, and, and, and a lot of the listeners that went to Fiserv Forum, I mean, there was legitimately a lot of yellow around. Like, I mean, not yeah, like as in, yeah. I mean, not as in like, you know, filling the stadium, but if you went to a game, you could definitely walk around and see a number of people wearing yellow. So I'm sure with the Cream, uh, the Cream City stuff, it's going to be the same. They'll probably make some money off it. I still see that yellow hoodie that they yeah, the uh, yellow hoodie. I still see it at every game. The one uh, and I, I'm in the same boat where I I don't I don't get too worked up. I don't have enough time to really care about jerseys yeah. and uniforms. But the one that I just didn't get that it seems like everybody loved was the green one with the deer on it at the area when they wore the purple jerseys. Everybody uh-huh. loves that for some reason and it just I don't get it. Yeah, well, that's going to be interesting because that one, uh, I believe the uh, the herd uh, are playing a game, or maybe maybe it's just a one off, but they're doing sort oh, of decade theme nights, so they're bringing it out. And I, I think the Bucks are eventually going to do that. It's one of the jerseys you can still buy, and I always think it's kind of cool if, when you see the the Ray Allen um, version of that getting around. So I'm sure they're going to bring it back at some point, but. The Bucks did play tonight, and I mentioned it got a little bit tight uh, and probably brought back some memories of that uh, game in OKC a couple of weeks ago. But 135-127, they win. Giannis again, I tweeted it out, but there's another day that ended in the letter Y, and he had another 30 points and 10 rebounds. He finished um, with, uh, yeah, 33 points, and he picked up 11 rebounds. He was there on eight rebounds in the fourth quarter and was looking in danger a little bit, but... Uh, he was dominant and uh, on the back of a 17-point third quarter for Giannis and then a 17-point third quarter for Bledsoe, they were able to scrape home and get away with a, with a 3-0 road trip. The, uh, the Bulls game felt like there was more danger of that double-double streak 
coming to an end. But, I mean, what, what's the game where he doesn't record a double-double? I don't know, but I think Paschke actually said on the, on the broadcast tonight that Kevin Love has the record to start the season at 15. So, uh, yeah, I guess uh, the game against the Blazers tomorrow, yeah, is to, is to equal the, the record to start a season. I, I think I think that's what Paschke said. So, And uh, I know we'll get to it uh, later on, but you have to feel pretty good about the chances of him hitting 15 with that Blazers front court. Yeah, yeah, we're gonna we're gonna touch on. Uh, I mean, that was an interesting start for Camelo in Portland. It was probably what you expected. They're in they're in dire straits. But uh, you know, when when I look at this game, there's there's a there's a number of things that really stick out. But I, I do sort of want to start with Bledsoe because you know he had that really really strong stretch of probably five or six games last week, and then he, he comes into this one. He he didn't play that well the other day, and now in this game. Two for nine at the half. He had three turnovers as well and just seemed completely out of sorts. He picked up his fourth foul early in the third quarter. And you're like, man, Eric Bledsoe. It, it, it's hard because when Bledsoe plays in that way, he kind of looks like he just doesn't really care. Like he's just sort of floating around. And he's like, ah, I'm just going to jack up some jump shots here. And there was a couple of spots in the second quarter. There was one where he tried to drive sort of the ball got deflected. He picked up the ball again and then just turned around and threw up a sort of a mid-range fadeaway shot. And then after that, with the shot clock running down, he just dribbled, 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 dribbled and then took a, an, another long two. It, was just, it just looked like he was just going to have one of those nights. And then I pointed it out uh, during the game. There was this one play early in the fourth quarter where he crashed the offensive glass, picked up the offensive rebound, went to the ground, Shoveled out a pass to DiVincenzo, I think it was, who got it to Pat Conant and who hit a three. And from that point on, in the final nine minutes of the game, he had 15 points and 17 points total for the uh, for the fourth quarter. And then he finishes the game with 28 points. And you're like, well, Bledsoe must have played pretty well. Uh, it Really, you know, you talked about that stretch he had. He's been great the month of November, basically, with the exception of the Bulls game and, you know, the Pacers yep. game. He was just so so over the weekend but other than that he's been great and this entire game kind of felt like I mean the plays that you referenced from Bledsoe the turnover that Robin Lopez had on the inbounds and then Mm -hmm. the foul that he committed right after where that stuff started to build it felt like especially in the second half where you just got the sense that this was a team that just felt like we've been on the road long enough let's just get this over with yeah and we've seen that a little bit from the Bucs this year and and that's why you know, yeah, I mean, the, the end is kind of disappointing how sloppy it got. And once Yana sort of sits down and, and switches off and cools down, you would like to not have to bring him back on. And so from that point of view, it was disappointing that that he did. But yeah, you, you mentioned the turnovers. I mean, Bledsoe, in the end, he had three at halftime. He has another three in the second half. He has uh, six altogether. Uh, 19 turnovers uh, in total for uh, the Bucs. And, and you mentioned the road. I mean, in the end... You know, when you talk about the schedule and you're like, okay, this is, this is a really easy stretch for the Bucs, but when you get stuck out on the road, as the Bucs have been, 10 of their first 14 games on the road, and they get so close to getting home, this is like, you know, it, it can be a tough mental challenge to get over that. This is the type of game that we see teams lose all the time when, they, when they're about to head home. So for the Bucs to be able to do that on the back of their two stars with uh, Giannis and Bledsoe in the second half, remembering that Middleton's out, and the Bucs are now 4-0 and without Chris Middleton. Uh, they continue to take care of business. And the fact that those two were able to step up and Giannis mentioned in the postgame 
that uh, this was a pretty pissed off Bucks team at halftime. He said they went into the locker room and everyone was upset that they were losing. And we've seen time and time again, if Giannis goes into halftime frustrated, he uh, generally comes out uh, playing pretty well. And he certainly did in this one. It kind of had the same themes in um, at least three of the four quarters too, where they built up that 10 point lead in the first quarter when Corver hit the three and then Hawks kind of chipped away at it. Second quarter was the same thing where they again, pushed it over double digits. And then the Hawks just took over the final few minutes, third quarters where they just completely dominated. But then we saw more of the same in the fourth where this team has uh, ever since blowing halftime leads has seemingly figured out the third quarter, the last few weeks, uh, but still, I mean, for all the successes that we've talked about too, with 11 and three, which is one game better than they were a season ago, uh, the way that Giannis has played, the way that Eric Bledsoe has played this month, be doing all this without Chris Middleton too, we can still count what maybe two games this season that you would really say were complete victories here for this team where they played close to 48 minutes of basketball. Attention past, present, and future MyBookie players. During Thanksgiving week, MyBookie is offering a risk-free bet on the Bears-Lions game. Simply choose a team against the spread for up to $250. If you win, congrats. You've got extra holiday spending money. If you lose, congratulations to you as well. MyBookie will give you all of your money back. It's a no-brainer because you literally cannot lose. It's no risk, all gravy. I highly recommend you do not bet money, real money, on Mitch Trubisky, however. It doesn't matter whether you're an experienced player or a first-time customer. MyBookie welcomes all to come play, so quit waiting around and sign up today. Just log on to mybookie.ag and make your first deposit with promo code LOCKEDONNBA and MyBookie will match your deposit dollar for dollar to jumpstart your bankroll and that's on top of the risk-free bet already mentioned. Let me repeat, that's a guaranteed deposit match and a risk-free bet for Thanksgiving only. So if you're a true football fan, you do not want to let this opportunity pass you by. You simply can't lose. Make sure you do your part to support your team this season. Hop on the gravy train and get in on the action with my bookie. You play, you win, you get paid. And, and I do think, you know, we talk about this during the regular season, but in, in some respects, I do think that that is kind of a sign of a really dominant team. I mean, this was something that I sort of pointed to a few times during last year's regular season, but the fact was that the Bucks hadn't gotten out of the first round and they hadn't really done anything to play uh, that way. But this year, you're seeing it with the Bucks. I mean, they're the type of team that can float, you know, get through a game in second gear and then in 10 minutes, 15 minutes, really destroy you. A lot of times that's Giannis, but again, you know, they've got a couple of other guys. We've seen them ride Brook Lopez before, uh, Chris Milton as well, and, and Bledsoe. They're a team that can, you know, you need to, if you're the opposition, you need to play four quarters because even in this 9-1 and one stretch that the Bucks are on, uh, the only loss came at the buzzer against uh, Utah in what was a disastrous last two seconds that you, you, you would struggle to repeat how bad that last two seconds was. So, I mean, yeah, after a 2-2 a two and two start, they've really found... Uh, their identity but it was interesting when I was looking at Giannis speak post game in this one because this Hawks team has been giving up some points they gave up 150 to the Clippers the other day Uh, they got blown out by the Lakers as well on that back-to-back and it was very obvious early that this Hawks team 
isn't exactly hustling to get back on defense. And it looked like Milwaukee right out the gate were really pushing the tempo very quickly, understanding that if they did that, they were going to get whatever look they wanted. At times, it became a little bit disjointed. And then the game turned into a bit of a scrap. And we saw that the Hawks, after after going down 14-4, to four, were able to come back into it. But uh, Giannis, this is a direct quote from him. He said, we know the Hawks get back slow. So we wanted to rebound. So... I mean, this is this is clearly it was a, it was an objective coming in, and uh, you know they only end up with thirteen fast break points, but that was kind of the reason for me why this game the Bucks were always going to be able to score enough points to win because this Hawks team doesn't really play defense, and maybe you know the guy starting at the four for them might be a reason for that. Well, I mean, you look at the the raw numbers and you see one hundred and thirty five, and uh, you're reminded that this is a team that is playing without Chris Middleton, their second leading scorer, and still scored 135 points. But then, as you pointed to, this isn't so much directed at one player, but you look at that Hawks starting lineup and really, uh, just in terms of guys who are really starters in this league, you can point to maybe two on there. And then there's a couple of guys that, you know, defensively, you might as well just put a folding chair out there. Yeah, well, it was interesting because the it was I was looking pretty closely as probably everyone was at this matchup, and Jabari and Giannis were matched up on each other very regularly in this one. And Parker ends up fouling out, but he has fourteen points on six for eleven shooting. He was two for four from three. I mean, he was hitting some jump shots, but uh, it, it's just so funny to me watching this guy play because when he was matched up on Giannis. And this was always the thing with Jabari. Like, he was trying hard. Like, he was really, really trying on defense. And one-on-one, this was always the thing. Like, yeah, I mean, Giannis is probably going to beat him, you know, most of the time. But he's also the MVP. But if Jabari focuses in a one-on-one matchup, like, he's kind of okay. He's strong. He's got a big body. And But then you would watch him anytime he had to focus on anything other than one man, as we've seen. I mean, he's just a disaster defensively, and he doesn't even bother getting back on defense. If the Bucks picked up a rebound, he was just jogging back. And, you know, despite the fact we got a, a couple of fun one-on-one matchups with, with those two, uh, it was enough to see tonight that, yeah, he's putting up numbers, and that's great, but he's still the same guy that, that, that we saw in Milwaukee a, a couple of seasons ago. Not that uh, he's excels at it, but I mean, defending on the ball isn't really the issue with Jabari. No. It's everything else you pointed to where, you know, of course, he's for a number of reasons. Giannis has the ball in his hands for the bulk of the game, so he's going to be focused and trying. That's, that's where Jabari plays defense. And, you know, this game certainly packs added motivation for Jabari Parker every time he matches up with the Bucks, And, you know, for all the talk of the statistical numbers that he's put up and how good of a signing it's been for Atlanta, look, this is his role ultimately, ultimately in the league. If he can find the right team, that he is the guy that on a given night he can score 20 points off the bench. But, you know, for all that we've seen now in two different stops, you know what his limitations are. Yeah, no question. And, and it was funny, Giannis was talking after the game and, out of all the guys that Giannis says nice things about that he's had anything to do with Malcolm Brogdon being the last one last week, Jabari, he's sort of been lukewarm on a couple of times, um, which you, you don't really see from Giannis. But after the game, he had a big smile when uh, it, it sounded like it was Eric Nain that asked a question about matching up on, on um, Jabari. And he said, yeah, 
So it's always fun matching up on Jabari. He had a big smile on his face. And, and it was funny how he described Jabari. He said that he is extremely difficult to defend one-on-one. He's got all these different moves. And he said, and then if he starts hitting the jump shot, then he almost becomes unguardable. And it was just funny to hear Giannis describing another player in that way. And clearly, you know, I mean, Jabari can score. He's always been a, a talented offensive player. But, but hearing uh, Giannis talk that way and call someone else unguardable if he can start hitting the jump shot was just, uh, was just kind of funny to, to think about because, you know, I mean, you can imagine what everyone else thinks about that has to guard uh, Giannis. But there was one really notable thing tonight with the rotation. And I, I'm interested to see what you think about this because DJ Wilson plays, Ursan Ulyasova does not. And I didn't see anything, and I don't know whether I missed that, whether that was a designed rest, but I thought back to the Orlando game, which was a back-to-back a couple of weeks ago where Bud was, I mean, he was specifically asked, so that's why he would have mentioned that. I mean, Bud's not the type of coach who's going to come out and say, this guy's resting tonight. Like, he just doesn't do that. But uh, there was no mention of Ersan as far as I could tell, but he didn't play and DJ came into the rotation in uh, the first quarter and played, yeah, and played nearly 18 minutes. So it reminded me of that game because when you think back to DiVincenzo and Sterling Brown, they just weren't playing at all. Kyle Corver got a rest. They both got their chance. And really ever since they've been in the rotation. So when I saw DJ come in, I was like, all right, well, you know, this could be a little opportunity if he really impresses. I don't think he really stood out. And it's tough. I mean, he's hardly played at all to be to be thrown in in the first quarter. It's you know it's a difficult situation to be put in. But he played uh, just a uh, well, seventeen minutes, fifty one seconds. He had two points, three rebounds, one assist. Uh, just got three shots up, one for three, and and zero for two from the three point line. So, do we make anything of this, or we think it's just a back to back? And uh, you know, DJ didn't really do enough to to lock in minutes, and and Ersan's going to play tomorrow. No, I, I kind of assumed that, and it, it, was, it was probably around midway through the third quarter when I thought, how many minutes has Ursan played? And then realized, yeah. oh, he hasn't entered the game. That I, I assumed it was because of the back-to-back, but you know, like you said, Bud is never going to come out and say, hey, by the way, guys, Ursan isn't playing tonight, or George yeah. Hill is going to be limited. That It's almost reached the point where any of us around him, when it is a back-to-back, you just have to ask him who's being held out tonight. Yeah. Because, uh, otherwise, who knows? with these rotations I'm I'm leaning towards and assuming that's it but you know as far as the DJ thing goes you know I agree that you can make the case that the opportunities certainly have not been there compared to what we've seen for Sterling Brown and um, and Dante but those guys are also seemingly doing more with the opportunities and I think part of it boils down to I get this is going against everything we said last year in the whole Christian Wood debate but DJ, when he's out there, you know, for all the good that he brings and the things that he does that the coaching staff likes, the one thing that I think prevents him from ever standing out and ever really, I guess, taking the ball and running with it is he's just not very aggressive. That there's times when, you know, even if the shot isn't falling, you just want him to show some of that where you want him to be more aggressive and take a shot uh, rather than just running through the sets and crashing the glass and trying to get a rebound. He just hasn't been that guy at this level. And ultimately, you know, that's the thing that is going to prevent him from standing out, certainly in the eyes of the fans. But I think that's the thing that really is holding him back, that when he is there, 
you know, he's, he's essentially assignment sure. And you know what he brings defensively and surprisingly rebounding for all the talk coming into the draft, but he, he just isn't the guy that's going to create his shot and, and take over like that. And I think that's, what's kind of holding him back. Yeah, that's an interesting point you make because this has been something that that I've said all along when you look at Dante, and I mean, it's not just me. I mean, it's just very obvious that when you look at Dante and Sterling, when they get out there, they are like looking for shots and they are like involved and they're crashing the glass and they're doing everything. And and DJ kind of just floats around and listen, his defensive versatility we saw at times last year looks pretty damn special in, in, you know, isolated uh, you know, sets or, or plays, but yeah, I agree. He he doesn't really grab the the opportunity by the by the horns, I guess, and, and really run with it. Like that's not the type of guy he is. It was funny that his one bucket tonight came in a play that this is where he needs to get involved. George Hill was running a, a transition play. Three defenders were back. Hill sort of got in a position where it's like, okay, I can either like pull this out and we can run a half court set. What do I do here? DJ was running the floor. He dumped it back to him and he gets an open dunk. I mean, they're the type of plays where DJ needs to get uh, himself involved here. But yeah, he's, he's not the type of guy that looks for his shot. And while sometimes you look at DiVincenzo and you're like, man, I don't know about that shot. Like you are, <laughs> you are very, very confident uh, for a guy that's only played 35, 40 games. I also think that's what Bud likes. He wants guys yeah. taking shots. He wants them being confident and being aggressive. So I agree. That's, that's a pretty good point with DJ. But you know, if you're looking at this rotation right now, there's not many holes in it. But if there was a hole, there's some there's room there for someone to grab an opportunity because Robin Lopez has not been good, and Ersan Ilyasova hasn't been great either. Like defensively, fine. Like they're both fine, and and the you know the numbers say that you know defensively that they're, they're okay when they're on the floor, but. Robin has, you know, struggled with you know turnovers, and uh, you know he's not a threat from three yet. And Ersan Ulyasova, who has always been a, a decent sort of mid-30s three-point shooter, is down at 22% on the season. And after a hot start the first couple of games, I mean, he, he can't hit anything. Was it you that pointed out to, I mean, Ersan, just to speak to the slump that he's in, not only the shooting, the charges, but yeah. charges. Yeah, that, the, that we saw Ersan called for a, for a blocking foul that, yeah. that extended over. But, I mean, we see this, it seems like we – he certainly had a stretch like this last year and you know with Urson his value is and I know this is one of the things that people hate to hear people say just because how do you really quantify it but Urson's value is in the postseason and that you know you hope that DJ Wilson continues to progress and that you have that approach where DJ can be the guy uh, but you know Urson we know about Bud's trust in him and, and how much Bud is going to rely on him that you just kind of at this point assume once it gets to the second half of the season and the playoffs that that's where Urson is going to make the impact on this team. Uh, to wrap up the, the DJ Wilson thing too, I mean, you know about this full well from being around the team last year. With Dante and especially with Sterling Brown, the one word I would never uh, waver in using with those two guys is confidence. Yeah. And not to say that DJ isn't confident, but he's just, I guess the word you would use is passive, where there certainly is confidence there, but he's just out there, as you said, running around and just willing to let other people go on and, and willing to defer to everyone else on the floor that, you know, the only way that it's going to be there is if we see more of that confidence that Sterling Brown has. 
Yeah, yeah, I hundred percent agree with that. That's that's what I see when I when I see DJ at the moment is, um, and you know that that's a great direct comparison when you look at what Sterling and and Dante did straight away in that game in Orlando when they got their opportunity. Like you saw those guys play, and you're like, yeah, these guys have been desperate to get on the court the first uh, six or seven games. You just don't really get that feeling with DJ, and that, that's that's who he is. Like that's that's the way he is. That's the way he sort of cruises around the locker room, cruises around at practice. Like he's pretty chill. That's what he does. But on the court, yeah, I mean that's that's probably where he's going to stand out. And you need to see a few different things from him offensively and feel like he can actually be a, a factor because there's too many guys in this team that will be. And you know, you mentioned something interesting on the on the post game show about. Uh, you know, small ball lineups with, you know, even playing someone like Sterling Brown more minutes at the three and the four with the rebounding that he brings and the guys on this Bucks roster that hit the glass hard uh, from that wing position and, and Giannis being the rebounder he is, you can play him at the five and not really lose anything defensively. So, you know, yeah, if you're DJ, there's an opportunity there and there's a real spot in this rotation, I feel like, for those backup four or five minutes. But uh, nobody's really grabbing it uh, at the moment, which is... Yeah, interesting to see because I think the emergence of Sterling and Dante for the bigger picture with this team, it makes you feel a lot better about the depth and the different uh, you know options they have and the versatility and diversity offensively. I think you feel pretty good about that. But one guy I wanted to move on to was Brooke Lopez because uh, you know I'm not not a dominant night tonight from Brooke. He has 12 points, uh, hits a couple of threes, which is good to see because uh, you know we know that. Uh, his his three point shot hasn't been falling as as well as he would have liked, but they're going into him a lot more in in the paint, and we saw it early in this game. They run a, an early pick and roll with with Eric Bledsoe. This is something that we're seeing a lot more with those two in particular. And some of his numbers are, are interesting to look at this point. When you look at Lopez's three point attempts per game last year, he had six point three a game. This year, he's down to five point two. His two point attempts are up from three point four to four point two. And his free throw attempts are up from 1.6 to 2.5. Like, yeah, some of this is Chris Middleton out. And I think there's been more of a focus with Middleton out. But it's a definitive change, I think, now that we can see that they are at times looking for Lopez more in the paint. And I think it's a nice little wrinkle to add because he's, he's, you know, you forget about it, but he's so good down there. Yeah, and I I forget what game it was after. It might have been the Thunder game where Bud was talking about it too and said, you know, frankly, talking about that and will we see more Brooke in the post and, and hinting that yes and, and admitted we probably should have done it a lot more last year. And I think we would look back at a couple of those games in the Raptors series and say this is where you should have done it. Uh, but, you know, what, shooting 29%, I think, on threes coming into tonight's game that um, I'd seen a few people questioning too, well, was last year the outlier season for him, which it's way too early to say that, that, you know, kind of what we talked about with Urson, where those slumps do happen. I mean, he's basically, ever since he transformed his game into the outside guy, he's basically been a 35, 36% three-point shooter those, what, four or five years in his career. So I would anticipate those numbers are going to go up at some point this season. Um, you know, you think back to last year, too. It was It was kind of around this time where, we started to certainly see the volume of threes from him, but he had uh, that performance against the Nuggets on that early road trip where, yeah. uh, where he sank the eight, and it seemed like at that point he took off. But we had 
a lot of ups and downs where there was uh, – who was it where he missed his first nine, I think? Yeah, I think he was there for 11. 11, 11, yeah. 11 right? And then I can't it, remember it what game it was, but yeah. Kept shooting, yeah. But uh, no, you're, you're right. I mean, if you look at the previous three seasons or the first two seasons where he uh, is shooting the threes, the attempts are right up there. I mean, if, if you go back to that last season with Brooklyn, he was getting up five a game and, and sitting at 34%. Then with the Lakers – uh, just over four a game at 34%. Then with the Bucs, it went right up to above six attempts per game and 36%. So, you know, I mean, this is a significant drop down to 28%. So I would I would agree. I mean, this isn't something that I, I think is going to stick. I mean, this wasn't one year flash in the pan, uh, mid-30s from three. I mean, he did that for three straight seasons and he's been a durable guy. He's played a lot of games. This is over 200 uh, regular season games. So, yeah, I mean, at some point you want to start to see him get hot, but... Yeah, I'm not, I'm not too concerned at the moment. And I personally have no issue with, with him taking more shots in the paint anyway. I think that that five uh, attempts, between five and six attempts per game seems like a pretty good range for him considering that he rarely plays over 30 minutes a game. And if they're getting him uh, touches down low and he's, he's drawing fouls, which you know, don't always have to result in getting to the free throw line, but getting this Bucks team into the penalty more and getting them free points at the line, I mean, I, I, just, I think it's a great thing. Yeah, the, the durability, too, is remarkable because the, what was it, five or six six years ago, I think, when, when he broke his foot, the, there were a lot of concerns that, you know, this is certainly going to hamper him going forward and could impact his career. But this could be, if not a career-ending type of thing, a career-crippling injury. And just what he did going forward where he hasn't missed more than 10 games um, in his career. Uh, since that injury and you know last year played in the first 81 <laughs> games before being held out the other thing about him one of the things I talked about the other night with uh, Matt Velasquez on one of my shows was with with both Brooke Lopez and Eric Bledsoe even which I guess is where you take comfort as a fan and watching these guys even when the offense isn't there they're still making an impact defensively and you know, certainly Bud and everybody close to the team understands the value that Brooke Lopez brings to this defense. But I do question even casual fans if we really appreciate and understand the value that he brings on the defensive end of the floor because, you know, you may just look at Brooke Lopez as the big guy that shoots a lot of threes, not understanding he is one of the best rim protectors in the league, that there's so many big guys that are skilled defenders and good at that aspect of the game. And oftentimes – Brooke Lopez is not mentioned in that category. No, absolutely. And, and, and another two blocks tonight for, for Brooke, and he picked up a couple of steals as well. And the reason the Bucs are so good at protecting that restricted area is because Brooke, obviously, is, an, is a big reason for that. But th- what he allows Giannis to do in terms of free roaming and being that, that help guy, uh, I mean, if you're driving the ball and you're driving at a guy as big as Brook Lopez and then you've got Giannis floating over the back, I mean, gee, this, that's why the Bucks' defense has been so good. And you're right. I do still think it's underrated, but he's well on the way again with his uh, block shots to emulating what he did last year, which was, which was pretty special when you combine the, the block shots and the three-point makes. But I am going to get to the Blazers game now because the Bucks have a very short turnaround. We, we mentioned that the road trip, Ends. They're now eight and two on the road, eleven and three uh, all up. But twelve of the next fifteen are now at Five Serve Forum, and that starts today with the game against 
the Blazers, who are going to be shorthanded, and the Bucks continue to have a little bit of uh, injury luck in terms of playing teams uh, without stars. But before I get to that, I do want to remind you that today's podcast is brought to you by Audible. Audible has the world's largest selection of audiobooks and audio entertainment. Start listening with a 30-day Audible trial. Choose one audiobook and two Audible originals absolutely free. Visit audible.com slash locked on NBA to cash in on that offer. And if you can't get onto audible.com right now, you can find this and all other offers from Locked On sponsors at lockedonpodcast.com slash offers. So, Justin, the Blazers tonight. And what an interesting position Portland find themselves in at the moment. This, you know, when you look at this team last year, and get into the conference finals. Uh, I mean, with the group that they had, and I think that's the big thing, so much turnover with this Blazers team. And for those that haven't got the news or missed the news yesterday, Damian Lillard is not playing in this game. He's got some uh, issues with back spasms, so he's going to be out. So it just gets worse for Portland, who are 5-10 and 10 on the season. And now a large portion of this offense is riding on Carmelo Anthony. I mean, that I knew the Blazers were certainly not where they hoped to be in struggling, but uh, I, I didn't realize until just looking at it now, that is the second worst record in the Western Conference, only to the team that we all assume is going to finish with the worst record probably in the league, which is hard to digest in the Warriors. But uh, yeah, well, and it's been a number of things. You hit on the the turnover of the roster that, I think we all kind of assume these were some big losses that they had in players like Mo Harkless and Al Farouk Aminu. And just, you know, they had a lot of things break their way last year, certainly to have uh, the seeding that went down to the wire the last day of the regular season. That went in their favor where you had the Rockets and, and, uh, mm-hmm. and Warriors playing in the second round that you were able to avoid both of those landmines until the conference finals. You had uh, the, the second half of the season that Yusef Nurkic had for you uh, before that injury. And just the way that Dane played, that the shot that we'll all remember against the, Bla- or against the uh, Thunder, where all of these things went in their favor. And then you come into the offseason where it seems like this team and the Wizards are kind of mirror images of each other each year, only different results, where every year we question, is this the year that you have to break up this backcourt? And now – it's going to be tough to not do something, isn't it? With all, number one, the injuries they have and Pau Gasol now being released today and and probably joining the team as a coach. But for Carmelo Anthony, you know, it's certainly an act of desperation that, number one, they needed bodies. And you're saying, we'll roll the dice on Melo, but they absolutely need him to contribute because of how thin they are at the front court where Mario Hizonia, the Giannis stopper, had been playing heavy (laughs) minutes for them. Yeah, I mean that's the big thing. This isn't this like this Kamala move was seriously a desperation move. Like they had no other option. They're like, we need someone who can score. We need someone that can get us buckets in the in the front court because we've got no one left. And Zach Collins is out, and obviously Nurkic, it's it's up in the air. I, I think I read something today to say that he probably won't play this season, even though he seems to be progressing pretty well. So, and at this point, if you're the Blazers. I mean, this is almost getting to the point where it's a throwaway year. And you don't want to do that with Damian Lillard in the position of his career he is. He's 29 right now. 
But Lillard was averaging 28.6 points, 7.1 assists on 45% from the field. I mean, this guy is still balling, and they just can't win. And outside of uh, Dame and CJ, uh, they're in they're in a lot of trouble. And it's interesting. I, I watched that, or I watched most of uh, Kamalo Anthony's first game with the Blazers uh, a couple of days ago. Four for 14 from the field. And this isn't a guy that's come in off the uh, that hasn't played in over a season, and they're easing him into it. He started, and his usage percentage was up uh, above twenty six percent. So, Kamalo Anthony has been thrown into this and and given the ball and said, "Okay, we we need you to save us right now." And he's he's just not capable of doing that. So, uh, I don't know. I don't know how he's going to sort. I was going to say how he's going to sleep as we're recording this. I don't know how he slept last night, but. Uh, you know he's got Giannis waiting for him, and if I and the way the way that Camelo was moving in that game, I mean he's looking every bit of thirty five years old, and uh, I think Giannis is going to be enjoying this matchup. Well, yeah, and uh, you know that's the thing I was going to say is that he he has Giannis waiting for him on both ends of the floor now, where they're going to have to play Melo on Giannis. So he, Giannis in back to back games is going to see heavy minutes defended by Jabari Parker <laughs> and Carmelo Anthony at these stages in their career and and, you know just the whole western conference has become uh fascinating from the perspective of the blazers and a couple other teams because now we're going through a changing of the guard already this season where we talked about the warriors and where they're at the blade the bottom three teams in the west are the blazers spurs and warriors and at this point I don't want to bet against greg popovich but at this point i do not see a path to the playoffs certainly for the Warriors, but for the Blazers or Spurs that we're going to have in all likelihood one or both of the Suns and Minnesota Timberwolves in the playoffs this season in the West. Yeah, the Spurs are just an awful defense at the moment. They gave up 138 to the Wizards last night in a loss. And seven straight losses. When is, when is the last time Greg Popovich has lost seven in a row? Yeah, I don't know. I think it was the first time he'd lost five in a row since 2011. So it's, um, yeah, it's pretty wild what's happening with the Spurs. But, and the Warriors you touched on, they lost by 48 to the, to the Mavs last night. And Doncic had 35, 10, and 11 in 24 minutes. So, yeah, I mean, the Warriors have basically uh, got a G League team out there. But with the Blazers, yeah. So this is another game. And we, we touched on with the, with the Bucks rotation that obviously Ursan had the night off. Everyone was largely able to keep their minutes down. I mean, Giannis just gets over 30 minutes because he had to come back on at the end. Brooke Lopez only played 24. DiVincenzo, 24. Bledsoe, 25. And, and, and no one else uh, of the key guys, you know, Sterling Brown, 19. So, yeah, I mean, the Bucks, as far as back-to-backs go, they're going to be feeling pretty fresh. But, again, we talk about this schedule and 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 as much as we mentioned that Damian Lillard is out, Chris Middleton's out for the Bucks. They're 4-0 without Middleton. And, they're just going to keep taking advantage of this schedule because uh, these are some seriously winnable games. And this game, even on a back-to-back with Damian Lillard out, this is, this is one you've got to get. When is uh, TNT, when is the league, for that matter, going to go to scheduling more than just two games on Thursdays, too, to be able to opt? Because this is, your TNT, your national games tomorrow, are the Bucks and Blazers and the Suns and Pelicans. Yeah, and, you know, I mean, tonight you talk about some teams that are devastated by injuries, and they had that Mavs. Uh, I think that was an ESPN game that Mavs Warriors fifty point beat down as yeah. well. So I mean, it's just it's it's yeah. I mean, all the teams at the start of the season that you project are going to be pretty good, particularly in the West. I mean, it's just been thrown on its head. So yeah, that's that's an interesting point you make in terms of scheduling for for our national TV games moving forward. But 
Listen, we've we've pretty much touched on everything. I, I you know, there's not much else to talk about this game with the Blazers yet. I mean, they're just injury riddled, and the Bucks come in looking pretty good. Uh, it will be interesting to see. I mean, the thing that I, I, I'm curious to see is with whether Ursan has has burnt uh, the leash this early. I don't think so. I think he's just old and he was getting a little bit of a rest. But we'll be we'll be looking at that. And also, as I mentioned, Giannis with 14 double doubles to start the season, looking to get to 15 to match Kevin Love. Uh, to to start an NBA season, which would, which was is a pretty ridiculous record. And I I know we talked about on um, on the post game show the stretch that they have around Christmas, where four of their five games are big games and ones that are packed with intrigue. Where you have Giannis versus Luca, you have Giannis versus the Lakers, the Bucks versus the Lakers, and then uh, Malcolm Brogdon's return and the Christmas Day game with the Sixers. But leading up to that. Their next 13 games, you can really just point to uh, two of them and say these are going to be interesting or tough games with the Utah Jazz and then first week of December against the Clippers. Other than that, it's mostly teams towards the bottom of the standings in the Eastern Conference for that stretch of 13 games. Yeah, there's no doubt. And this was one of the things we pointed to with Middleton being out, that this uh, is a stretch in the schedule the Bucs have to – uh, take advantage of, but uh, just as we speak, and uh, we're going to wrap this up, but Lou Williams hits a three with 31 seconds left to give the Clippers a 95-94 lead over the Boston Celtics. So this is one to watch for the Bucks. Obviously, when you look at the standings, Milwaukee now 11-3. and three. If the Celtics lose that one, uh, they did beat the Bucks, so that will uh, you know play a part here, but they'll also be 11-3 if the Clippers hold on with 20 seconds left. So, yeah, I mean, the Bucs, throughout all the, all the discussion we had at the start of the season and, and you know, just letting these things play out, uh, they find themselves in a really, really good spot as the schedule starts to open up. But, uh, yeah, we've, we've, we've done it. We've done it. We've, we've uh, covered two different shows uh, to wrap up this Bucs-Hawks game. But uh, thanks again for jumping on on late notice. Anytime, my man. All right, as we mentioned, the Bucs did win and move to 11-3 on the season with a 135-127 win over the Hawks. We'll be back tomorrow. Frank will be back tomorrow to, to wrap up uh, the back-to-back against the Blazers and uh, send the Bucs into the weekend. But for Justin Garcia and myself, Kane Pittman, we'll speak to you tomorrow.